Welcome, everybody, to yet another podcast of Genesis. We are going to be recording today. Brad, what do you say we are on? Five? Number five. Number five. Genesis, the fifth podcast uh, that we'll be focusing on the book of Genesis. We're digging deeper and deeper into the book, and I'm really excited about today's episode. Me too. So, <laughs> thank you, Brad. So, once again, this is Scott. And this is Brad. And this is not about us. All right, we are up to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And I got to say, this one in particular, I don't know, it just grabbed me today. I don't know how... How long this particular podcast is going to be, but uh, I, I feel really good about this one. This, not that I haven't felt good about the others, but this just kind of grabbed me in, well, you know what? Let me stop with that and say, Brad, let's get this thing started off right uh, before I keep mumbling and stumbling on. Let's get this started right by inviting uh, Yahweh into this. That sounds like a good idea. Yahweh, once again, you've blessed us. You've given us this opportunity to sit down and study your word in Genesis. But as always, Scott and I, we can't do any of this without you. So would you come in? Would you come in and be the honored guest and help us decipher what you want us to know from the book of Genesis? Thank you, Yahweh. I give you glory, honor, and praise, and I thank you for this refreshing moment and study. Amen. Amen. All right, before we get started, we should warn you that today we have some special guests, a couple of dogs in the house that you might hear from time to time. We've got them upstairs. Hopefully they won't be a distraction, but uh, Brad has some family over who brought their dogs with them, and they might decide that they want to be in the podcast too from time to time. So we'll see what happens with that. A little behind the scenes. My house is fairly new, and next to me there's construction people building even newer houses. And so the dogs are making sure they're doing their job right by giving Ch them encouraging barks. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now last time, let's recap. Uh, we ended at Genesis Chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. And Elohim said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And Elohim created man in his own image. In the image of Elohim created he him. Male and female created he them. So I'm going to move right in to Genesis 1:28. And Elohim blessed them. And Elohim said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that creeps upon the earth. Now, as I've said before, as we go into these Bible studies, Brad and I have both said, we're just kind of sharing the things that leap out at us. So I'm not mentioning every single little detail that I could be mentioning in here. Uh, just because I am who I am and I'm sharing the things that grabbed me. Please, 
if I don't mention something that uh, you feel really shook you, really uh, amazed you about Scripture, please feel free to comment, send us an email, something. Let us know. We'd love to hear it. Absolutely. Blow my mind if you can. It's really not that hard, but... <laughs> <laughs> but what I want to start with here is kind of a recap uh, of what I said in Genesis 1, 26-27. Is this verse starts, Elohim blessed them, and Elohim said unto them... Now, this is the sixth day. He's just created Adam, the one man, and he's still referring to him in this plural. Uh, the, uh, the way of speaking to him is if Adam and Eve both exist because they do. This is another indication that the singular Adam is the plurality of God's entire image in one. We talked about that last time, Genesis 26 through 27. Elohim created man in his own image. In the image of Elohim created he, him, singular. Male and female created he, them, plural. And it goes on right here. And Elohim blessed them. He's blessing both of them. And yet only the one man exists. We need to understand this as the plurality of God. But there's something else I want to get into here that... That has been, I won't say, uh, I don't know, brought to my attention, but it's just something that in my research, in my studies, that has, uh, I do understand, exists out there. And there's uh, another way of interpreting this verse that I want to get into. And it deals with the timing of a day. So some use this verse to say that this indicates that we're seeing a greater period than a single 24-hour day. Because now at this point, God is summarizing the creation of both Adam and Eve. We've seen he's talking about the male and female and he's blessing them, plural. So some people say this is a summary of the creation of both of them. Then after this summary, he's going to go back and expand upon that, and he's going to add more detail later. He's going to flesh it in. This whole thing, uh, from day one to day six, the creation of the world, uh, and we're not there yet, but day seven, when God rests, this is a summary of the creation. Then he is going to go back, and he's going to flesh that in. He's going to expand upon it. We've got the skeletal summary here. He's going to add more detail later. Uh, this There is validity to this way of thinking. It is very common in the Bible to do this. In fact, uh, Revelation that Brad is getting into will do this very thing repeatedly. Uh, it, it explains the timeline, then it goes back and expounds upon moments in that timeline, fleshing it out to give greater understanding. Uh, Brad, just let me ask, have you seen this kind of thing so far in your study? Oh, yeah. And not just in Revelation, I see it through, all throughout the Bible. I read a thing one time that um, when they were writing these, they weren't concerned about the timing of when things happened. They were just more concerned about the fact that things did happen. Right. You know, so they give you, to me, it almost seems exciting. It's It starts out with, okay, this is how it, this is what happened. This is, Guys, listen, this is what happened. But then you fill in the details later. You're just so excited. You want to get all the information out there. But then you take the moment to go, and this is how it happened. 
Right. You know, to yeah. me, it just seems like it's an excitement yeah. thing. So that's why I say, it, and and Brad verifies, this is a common biblical thing that happens all the time. They They give the outline, then they go back and fill in pieces. And so some will say that the day that's being referred to here means a thousand-year period because we see Adam, the man, is created, and we're going to see, we haven't got into it here, but in in Genesis, he walks with God, he's going to name all the animals, he's going to do a variety of things, then Eve is created. Well, there's an obvious gap in time before Eve is created that seems to be greater than what a single 24-hour period could handle from when man is is first created. So, therefore, what they'll say is the sixth day is referring to a thousand-year period of creation. And where they get a thousand years is elsewhere in the Bible where it says, remember, a day to the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. So, therefore, what they're saying is the six days of creation are six 1,000-year periods where God set all this up. There is some validity to this line of thinking, and there could be truth to it. As I've said before, I don't know. And in fact, in, a, in another few minutes here, I'm going to reveal another way of thinking about this that could also be true. I, I point these out as they come up because I said I don't know. And I want to be fair. And I want to point out what the, the verses are talking about and what people say about them. And I want to point out when I think it might be mistaken because of what the verses are actually saying uh, or, or it might be true. So right now, it, there could be validity to this. Also, I like to try to keep an open mind and remember that everything can be true. God mm-hmm. is so far beyond our comprehension. It could be a day and it could be a thousand year period to God. Right. You know, yeah. so I think sometimes people get caught up in, in what if that's important or not. Ultimately, I go back to, yeah, but not right now. You know, it's only important that the events happened, mm-hmm. not necessarily how long it took them. Yeah, and I've mentioned this before. I agree with Brad uh, that, and if you feel differently, I don't want to argue with you. I don't want to dispute you. You go for it. You search. If you feel God has laid that on your heart. Uh, then then you search that truth. Right now, what I feel God is laying on my heart is that's not important. That could be just for me. Uh, that could be God saying, I'm leading you down a different path. Uh, that could be. This is not really wisdom to deal with this right now uh, because it'll all get explained later, so it's no big deal. But what I want to focus on right here, and now what you focus on is what God and the Holy Spirit leads you to focus on, but what I'm focusing on this Point is the fact that the singular being Adam very definitely was the entire Godhead, a representation of the entirety of the Trinity. Eve was created, or the female side of mankind. She wasn't named Eve yet. She was named Adam. Uh, the whole, the entirety of Adam, was named Adam. Uh, it was Adam and Adam. Uh, Adam names her Eve after they're separated, but it was Adam separated from Adam. They, both of them were mankind. So the, the feminine side of mankind was created right here at the very first moment along with the male side. Once again, as Brad was saying, don't limit God. These two thoughts 
do not conflict. The Genesis story could be saying both of these are true and more. Well, they're definitely saying more. Always remember there's more than what we can uncover. There's so, such a vast amount more. God is so infinite and perfect. Never forget that. So, now, I'm going to conflict with that. (laughs) No, just kidding. Here's something else to contemplate about this. Again, giving another side of things. Because I don't have all the answers. God exists outside of time. Since man is created in the image of God, and man is perfect before sin happens, did man also exist outside of time? initially, before he sins? And if so, then how much quote-unquote time passed between when Adam was created and when Adam fell? So that when you think about it this way, everything in the six days of creation of the earth and everything, the creation of the earth and everything on it, it all could have happened in a literal six times 24 hour period in the timeline that we think of as time. But it could have taken what seemed to be eons and eons to someone on the other side of that. So that's another way of thinking about it. I'm throwing all of these out there for your consideration. I don't know what's right. I'm simply saying God is so vast and so perfect and so awesome don't limit him by you saying oh come on that sounds crazy that can't be true limit him by how he limits himself let god define god always remember the ways of god are so far beyond ours that it's ridiculous and absurd for us to put god in any kind of limiting box of our own design yeah, I know quite a few people who will accept that the miracles happened, but then they won't accept that some of the other supernatural things happened. They call those myths or legends. Mm-hmm. And so that does that kind of boggles my mind. I mean, if you'll accept the, accept the miracles of Jesus, shouldn't you be able to accept that he's capable of so much more? Right. And we do this. I see it so, much, so many times throughout all of the scriptures. Uh, in the Old Testament, as I've mentioned, a lot of people will pick and choose what they want. They'll they'll hear about the the commandments of God. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's good. That yeah, do not murder. Oh yeah, I'm all I'm all on board for that. Yeah yeah. Oh, the commandments of God tell me I should stone my child if he curses me. Oh well, hey, wait a second. I I don't like that. So what we're doing is we're picking and choosing what we tend to agree with, and we're calling it godly. And we're saying, yep, God has, God has said this is, this is what should be done. Instead of saying, well, wait a second, what does God say? What, what does God tell us how it is? And this is what Brad's talking about, too. The miracles of Jesus, oh, I love that. Oh, it shows how wonderful Jesus is. Oh, something else about the power of the Holy Spirit or, or the miraculous nature of who God is, I, I find it hard to believe that that boggles my mind. So I'm going to say that's, that, that's done away with. I'm just going to kind of rationalize it away. Well, and I've seen them contradict themselves too or when they'll say, oh, I, adultery, yeah, I would never cheat on my wife. But then you bring up the fact that Jesus says, if you've thought about it in your heart, mm-hmm. you've committed the act. Right. Well, now they don't want to believe that part of it. Right. You know, so I mean, there is such a contradiction. All I'm, all I'm pleading for you guys is 
just uh, don't limit God. Yeah. Just, you know, realize that he is so much more than we can even imagine right now. Right. So, there's just a few things about this verse that I want to point out that really jumped out to me. And these are the three things that God tells mankind right here. Replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. Now, when digging into the Bible, I've mentioned before that I use the Hebraic root version because I'm not fluent in Hebrew, and I want to get back to the original Hebrew as close as possible uh, for me because I'm not just interested in what God said. I'm interested in how he said it. Because we have to remember, he is so perfect. His design is so meticulously flawless that he placed every letter, every space, everything in exactly the right place. And he put it together in the order that it's in for a reason. So, he said, replenish the earth, then subdue it, then have dominion, in that order for a reason. But I'm going to change the order right now, and I'm going to start with subdue. Don't want to blow off the reason why God put it in that order, but quite frankly, replenish had a special place for me, and so I want to finish with that. Uh, so, And that's why I point it out, because I'm changing this order right now for you, just because I want to finish on that, because it held a special place in my heart, not because I'm saying God's order was wrong. Uh, please understand that. There is a very, there, we should always look for the reason. Why did he say that first? What's the order to this? And I'll get into a little bit about that in, uh, at the end of this too. But first of all, I want to come to the word subdue. Now, Brad, if I tell you subdue something, what, what's the immediate emotion idea? What am I telling you when I use the word subdue? The immediate emotion is something negative. It's uh, hold it against its will, force, it, force exactly. it to stop. Yes, subdue. This is conquering verbiage, is it not? Yeah, I agree. Right. So it makes me think, Adam and Eve are in the, in the garden. Now again, we have just Adam the singular being, but, but we have the, the plurality of God, the, the, the entirety of the Godhead in Adam. So I, I'm referring to them, him, as Adam and Eve right now. But if Adam and Eve were intended to live in the peaceful, tranquil garden all their lives, not a care in the world, with God just taking care of them, why would the commandment slash blessing to subdue the entire earth be even mentioned here? Does that make any sense, Brad? Now that you bring it up? <laughs> no, not really. No. So, But they are. He's commanded to subdue the earth. So... Again, we've mentioned many possible theories about the timing of things and stuff like that. Is this another indication that the demons or the fallen angels already exist when this command is given? Is this a reference to them directly? Subdue them? Or is this a reference to the fact that because of them, corruption already exists on the earth and Adam and Eve are intended to have victory over it? Now, there are some other theories out there that I want to give mention to. Is it possible that there was another race of people out there at this time? And I'm going to get a little bit more into that idea when I come back to replenish. But there is a theory that God started with another race of people. And 
he gave up on them for whatever reason. And he either wiped them out or he just sent them off to their own design and started over with Adam and Eve. They weren't dead. They were out there on the planet still. But he started over with Adam and Eve. This theory exists. I don't personally agree with that theory. I'll get into a little more why. But I do, again, I don't know everything. I'm not God, so I want to be fair and throw it out there for your consideration too. You have any thoughts on these kind of things, Brad? What's coming to my mind is, uh, you know, we were never told that we would have ownership of the earth. We were just told that we'd have rulership over it. So subdue it, rule over it. Makes me think that maybe there could have been something here that we were supposed to subdue and rule over. Right. No, definitely the subdue to conquer to to this 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 militaristic verbiage tells me there's something. Uh, I just specifically I don't believe there was another race of humanity, so to speak. Yeah, I wouldn't. I I personally don't believe that there was another race of humanity, but I do maybe. I do think this might give some a testament that uh, maybe Satan and his followers had already fallen at yes. this point. Um, so I, we we basically, yeah. uh, you know, basically when you just get right down to the to the bare roots of it, we took Satan's job. Yes. You know? So he he was cast down. He you know he was he was this beautiful creature that was supposed to praise and worship God, and he was cast down. And we took that from him. That's part of the reason why he's so angry at us. Yeah. Know? So at this point, maybe he's been cast down, and now God's working on us, and we're supposed to subdue Satan and his efforts. You know what? This is uh, this is really awesome right here because uh, this is one of the reasons I like having Brad jump in. This is something I didn't think of before, and I'm glad he mentioned this because I want to get into it. Satan has ticked at us. Now, why is he ticked at us? Uh, simply because he's Satan and he's anger and he has no love. Yeah, there's that to it. But Satan wants God. Satan wants God's throne. Satan wants to destroy God. And right here we're seeing man, humanity, Adam, is God. Understand that. When he breathed the breath of life into Adam, he put a piece of himself into Adam. That's what separates Adam from the animals. He literally, just like you, when you conceive a child, you take a seed, you take an egg, you take a literal piece of yourself. You combine it to make a child. The child is you. It's genetically, it's fundamentally you. We are genetically, fundamentally God. God took a piece of himself, put it into us, and then the whole design behind creation is he wants reunification with that. He wants us to come back to him. Satan hates us. One of the reasons is because we are God. We are a piece of God. He wants to destroy God, and by destroying us, I believe he feels he weakens God. Wow, Scott, yeah. This is, this is the beauty of the conversation part of it. Is now I've got goosebumps over here thinking about that. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you, because uh, that's, that's what all this is about. I had no idea I was going to go there until you mentioned that, so I appreciate it. But let's get into subdue is Strong's Concordance number 3533, and you're going to love this. I, I get a big kick out of this. Subdue, right? Conquering verbiage. The Hebrew word 
Kabash. <laughs> Literally. It's it's Caw Bash. And I love it. It's got a comic book feel to it. I just imagine uh, you know, comic book character, the Hulk or someone a picture and you hear uh, smash, crash, kabash. Kabash. Pow, blam, kabash. <laughs> it's it's awesome. I love that. Thank you, God. That's I get a kick out of that. Uh, but it means to tread down. It can also mean to conquer, to subjugate, to bring into bondage, to force, which these are some of the words you just mentioned when I asked you what it meant to subdue. Uh, so so you can you can see it's got a very militaristic uh, uh, connotation here, right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, something else jumped out at me in this, and that was the fact that part of the definition was that negatively this can mean to disregard. And I found that fascinating. And one of the reasons is because I think the world is getting to a place, at least here in America, I don't know what it's like in in your other, the countries that are listening to us around the world. And thank you for listening. We can see that you are. I appreciate that. But at least here in America, what we're seeing is a growing trend that not only... Are you required to let sin go in other people? There's a growing trend that you're required to get on board with it and actively support it. And if you disregard it, in other words, if you just say, "Uh uh-uh, no, I'm walking the other way, that is taken as a huge offense because your action is treated as the simple act of walking away and saying, I'm not going to do it, means that you're calling it wrong. And they're, they're treating that as hostile. And that's what it is. It's a part of this to subdue, to disregard, is, treated, is being treated by the world just as hostily as if you're trying to force and conquer. And so that kind of grabbed me right there. I don't know what you think about that, Brad. No, I'm in total agreement. That's, a, that's an interesting thought. I, uh, I've been making the comments for a while that I have to be very careful about how I phrase things nowadays because mm-hmm. I'm I I'm a Christian and I and I will not back down from certain points that I believe in. So I guess anyway the point I'm trying to make is here I am being careful but am I causing more harm? Yeah, I just don't know. We're definitely getting to a point in the world uh worldwide where Satan's coming to a head and but that's getting off subject for this. Let me uh, I, I wanted to bring it up because of this word subdue and what it means, but uh, let me move on to the word picture for subdue, and that is cough, bet, and sheen. And because I love the word so much, I'm going to say it again. Kabash! Kabash. <laughs> uh, the possible interpretation of this, which I love so much, is with your hand, destroy while in your house. And I love that because to me, this is a picture of cleaning. Uh, the house, the house of God, the earth, this was given to Adam. It was to be his house, and he's being commanded to subdue. Well, this is his house that he's in. This is a picture of you going through your house and clean, and killing germs and destroying dirt and removing by force garbage. And this is cleaning house. Kabash! Kabash! <laughs> So I, I really appreciate that. And again, I do want to say possible interpretation, not the only interpretation. So let's move on 
to have dominion. Now, this is a fascinating thing to me. Uh, someone I knew years ago brought this up, and I've never forgot it. And he said, you can't have dominion over something that can outdo you. I mean, think about that. You cannot have dominion over something that can outdo you. And Adam had dominion over everything. He had dominion over the birds that could fly. He had dominion over the fish that remained underwater. He had dominion over the cheetah who could run uh, as fast as it can run. He had dominion over the elephant and as strong as he was. Does this mean Adam was a superman? Does this mean he could fly? Does this mean he could breathe underwater? Does this mean he was faster uh, than the, the, the cats, the, the leopards, the jaguars, the, uh, the panthers? Does this mean he was stronger than the rhinos, the elephants? And we see this a bit throughout the Bible. We've seen it in Samson as God blesses him with amazing strength. But what I want you to focus on here is Jesus himself. When Jesus dies and he's resurrected, he gains a post-resurrection glorified body. And we see this in the scripture. The disciples are freaked out. They're in a locked room. Jesus has just died. They've discovered that the grave is open. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what to do. They're scared to death. They've locked the doors. No one gets in or out. And suddenly, Jesus is just there. He just appears, walks through the wall, just shows up out of nowhere. Did he return to the body that Adam originally had before sin? Is this a type of the body we're going to have? Adam was perfect physically and spiritually at the time before he sinned. What could he do in that body that we couldn't do later? Yeah, this is a concept you and I have talked about before just in our conversations. And, and it just always amazes me the thought that I could, if I wanted to, just keep walking in any certain direction. Mm -hmm. And whether I came across thick forest or mucky water or whatever it was, I wouldn't be afraid to go through it because right. I would be, you know, able to resist what was ever there. Just think of just think of all the new things we could discover just on this planet. Mm-hmm. If we were able to do things like that. Yeah. Think of the, the, the different types of insects or ants that uh, people are afraid to go near because they just kill anything. They, that With the sting, they could instantly kill you. Uh, think of walking through lions and other wild animals and just petting them on the head as you go by and not being afraid of them at all. I love this thought. And we are going to get a perfect body uh, in the end. But it makes me wonder if at this point Adam already had it because sin doesn't exist. Makes sense. I'll, really quickly, I'll share this. I read a it, was a, it was not a Christian scientist or anything like that. It was just a normal scientist. And he was, I, I make it, in my mind, it was pre-flood. Um, but he was talking about how millions of years ago, um, the earth had a higher oxygen content level. And if we had that oxygen content level nowadays, you'd be able to do about 10 times the amount of running or work that you can do now before you would get winded. Mm -hmm. And even that thought was like, wow, so pre-flood, yep. you know, they might have even, even if they were not in that perfected body, they might have still had more of the potential than we do now. Right. 
Yeah. So the word dominion is Strong's Concordance number 7287, Radha. And it also, just like subdue, it means to tread down. Only this has a slightly different spin on it. It means to prevail against. It means to reign. And it means to rule. So where kabash, I love saying that, it has a conquering verbiage like you're a soldier. You know, go take that down. Rada has a royal verbiage. It, it's to reign, to rule. It's very similar to subdue, but it has a kingly bent to it. So with subdue, you're commanded to be the soldier. With have dominion, you're commanded to be the king. Now the word picture here, resh, dalet, and he. One of the possible interpretations, it especially goes along with the creation story, is Adam at the door of the tent. So what we see here is he's told to have dominion. So God is placing Adam at the door of the tent and giving Adam the authority. What gets in, what goes out. You rule, Adam. He's giving him, and again, Brad mentioned it earlier. God gave him authority over. He didn't give him ownership of. That is, that is, that is very important. When Adam sins and he gives authority up to Satan, he does not give ownership of to Satan. God owns the universe, uh, the, the world, the sun, the stars, everything. Satan does not have ownership, but he does has been given dominion for a time being. But another possible interpretation about this that I found fascinating, looking at prophecy, looking at, again, I have a, I have a personal focus on the spiritual interpretation uh, behind the physical example, is behold, the pathway that is Jesus. So when he tells us to have dominion, he's telling us not just to see the pathway that is Jesus, each of us individually, in order to, to be that king, but he's telling us to let the world behold it in us. Behold the pathway that is Jesus. That's, that's beautiful. <laughs> I know, I love that. Yeah. So now, again, we've been told, subdue, you're a conqueror, you're a soldier, go take it. Take it, soldier. Have dominion. You are the king. You are the heir of salvation. You rule. You reign. We go from soldier taking it to king ruling over it. But how did we start? Replenish is where we begin. And replenish the earth. Well, first of all, I used to wonder when, when I was a kid reading this, and I didn't have any Hebrew. I, I just had... My, my King James and my NIV and all of those, you know, I had my various translations, but I was just reading from the English version. I used to wonder if this meant that there were people before Adam and Eve. They, they fell, they were wiped out, God started over. And in fact, this verse is used by some to indicate that there may have been something here that predated Adam and Eve. After all, the Bible says to replenish and us... Uh, here in America and in the UK and anyone who natively speaks English, we tend to think of anything in the English language that starts with re as meaning it's going to happen again or that this is meant to happen again. If something is new and then it gets old and we renew it, 
It means to be made like new again. So we think replenish, doesn't this mean it's happening again? It's been done before. Now, another piece of evidence that people will point to is the fact that God also gives this very same commandment, replenish the earth, to Noah in Genesis 9.1. And Noah is obviously following other people on the earth. So, just like Noah, is Adam and Eve being commanded to do this again? And again, some of the possible theories are another race of man was created before Adam and Eve that walked away from God and God started over. There's another theory that says Adam and Eve were in the garden having children. Those children uh, we don't hear about, but they could have sinned on their own after eating the fruit of the tree on their own, and they left the garden, and they were out there being sinners, being kicked out of the garden before Adam and Eve fell. And one of the indications of this is when, when, Eve, when Adam and Eve are kicked out and God's cursing them, he, what he tells Eve is now she's going to give, now she's going to bear children painfully. And some people will say that that points to indicating that she was having children painlessly before this. Um, again, I'm just pointing out these other theories. Some will say this is an indication of Lucifer and his fallen angels having come to earth first and wreaking havoc. Once again, I don't have all the answers, so I mentioned some of these for your consideration, but I will say this. Subsequent studies of my own and other things I've read seem to show that this word replenish in and of itself comes from a Hebrew context which does not mean they're redoing it. It means they're starting from scratch at the very beginning. They're not, they're, they're not starting over from something that previously existed. Strong's Concordance, number 4390, Male. It means to fill. It means to accomplish or confirm and then to consecrate. It means to be at an end. So it does not mean to fill again. It does not mean uh, to redo something or anything like that. So it, we can't look at it in the English replenish and hear that, that prefix re and think this means it's happening again. The original word does not mean that. That doesn't mean any of those theories are automatically wrong. It just means you can't use this word replenish as an indication that they're right. That's why it's so important to read scripture through the eyes, modernized as well, but also especially through the eyes of the people in those times, because you'll understand more about what they're actually trying to say. Uh, it's like the word comfort. You know, we think of it as I'll take care of you. I've mm -hmm. got you. But there's actually uh, the meaning behind it is that you will go through the trouble, but I will be with you when you do. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean you're going to be protected from it. You're going to go through it. You know, but right. these are things that you won't know unless you really look into the roots of those words yes. and how the people of the time use those words. Now, I want to get back to the definition here, but first I want to show you the word picture before I get to the rest of the definition. The word picture is mem, lamed, aleph. Now, one of the possible interpretations of this is water is guided by a strong leader. Now, I thought this was pretty cool because he's talking about, he's telling them to replenish the earth. He's telling them to fill. 
uh, he's telling them to accomplish something, then consecrate it. He's commanding them to be at an end. So he's telling them at the very beginning of their creation, he's commanding them to finish. And what we see is water guided by a strong leader. He's telling man this, this path, see it through to its end. Guide it to the very end of the line. And I really liked that. But also, what we've talked about before, water prophetically can refer to people, uh, the people of the earth. Lamed is represented by a staff. And that makes me think of a shepherd. Uh, and, and in fact, the, the, the whole word Lamed is, is shepherd-like, control, lead towards, uh, to goad with a staff. And Aleph is the Hebrew letter for God. It's, it's strength, it's leader, but it's the first. It's, and as the first, it's God's letter because it's uh, only divisible by itself. It, it's, it's a part of every other number in existence. And so one of the possible interpretations of this is people being shepherded by God. That's awesome. So when he's telling them to replenish the earth, he's telling us, let me guide you. Let me guide you through this. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I like that. But now what I want to end with right here is the thing that hit me the most. And it's the rest of the definition for replenish. And this just really struck me and, and grabbed me deeply. And I hope it grabs you the same way. But it doesn't have to. Something else could grab you more. We're all different people. But this had special significance to me. There were two other definitions. One was it can mean to take a hand and to have holy. And I saw this as just just raising the level of intimacy. To take a hand and have holy. To me, felt like marriage. But to add to that thought, another part of this definition of the word replenish literally means the full tale of a lover. He was commanding Adam and Eve to experience the full tale of a lover to take God's hand and have him holy and to to be the full tale of a loved one he wasn't just telling them go start this thing he was telling them to finish this thing he was blessing Adam and Eve from the very beginning by telling them the end of the tale was already theirs if they wanted it the whole thing the whole story was already theirs from day one scott that's that's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful greatest love story ever told right there that's why i wanted to finish with that because that that grabbed me the most and i said i said from the beginning god put these in order subdue is be a soldier have dominion is be a king but he started with be a lover be my love. Replenish, subdue, have dominion. We always have to remember, love is the first thing. Be my lover is God's first command to us. Then be a soldier. When you go out there and you fight for God, you can't do that accurately if you're not in love with God. Go out there and be a king. We all tend to think, we, a lot of us in Christian Christianity, we tend to emphasize that. I'm a king. I've been made an heir of salvation. 
Well, you know what? You're not a king. You're not a king unless first you have loved and then you've put in the work to subdue the enemy. That comes last. First, just be a lover of God. Let him, let him love you with everything he's got. Take his hand. Have him holy. Let your life be the full, complete tale of a lover. And that's all I've got for today. So that's why I thought this one was pretty cool. I was, and I'm going to say it one more time, not to break the mood. Kabash! <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Scott. This one's been, this one's been very eye-opening. They all are, but I don't know. I, I I love that. It's almost like you've ended it on a happy ending, or happily ever after. <laughs> <laughs> because God did. He he. It is especially as Brad gets into Revelation, like we've mentioned before. Revelation has a lot of, and then the dragon will, and there will be destruction and evil and death and ah. We got to remember the end of the story it's the full tale of a lover loving you rescuing you repairing you taking care of you healing you this whole story is is god loving you and we've got to remember that so as always this is scott this is brad and this has been not about us